Alright peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of debunking Wing Chun myths, lots of sticky hands, sticky legs. Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. <laughs> Yo, Dre, how you doing, man? I'm really good, Sifu. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So happy to be here on a Friday night so, with you. Oh, is it a Friday night? It is. And to be recording with you live because we've been doing we like through it. the stream, which, you know, uh, it's not the same format, but, you know, I still try to bring it with the same yeah. awesome Kung Fu Genius insights. But yeah, I think pe people like the traditional format where it's the two of us. I think so. Uh, so we, we try to get it uh, or do these as many as we yeah. can, uh, given our very tight schedule. So I'm happy we got one uh, today. So, um, yeah, as always, uh, for despite how much Mikey Dean hates it, exactly. I yeah. love it. KFG after dark. He's been, he, he's been <laughs> renovating all day today, so we're all a little worn out and yeah. we've all worked. So, uh, yeah, yeah it's I've good been to lifting see you, coils man. all day, you coils, know, coils of steel. Wow, slinkies. All right. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, if you guys want to support the Kung Fu Genius Podcast, uh, the best way to support us on Patreon, you get episodes early, yes. get access to all sorts of special content, you get a pipeline to questions uh, being answered on the uh, uh, podcast, and uh, you can also send me private messages and stuff, and I will answer them. Feel so. free to be part of the best nation. That's right. The donation. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, for as little as $5, you guys can support us on right. uh, Patreon. That's patreon.com slash thekungfugenius. The link is in the description below. So uh, here we are doing another Ask Me Anything episode. So Dre, Woo! what do you got for me today? You know, I have out the gate this this name I can't when I read this name I just I just chuckle. I swear to God if it's a if it's Dryson if it's, it's Dryson Doctor Eisen it's not a Doctor Eisen yeah. especially for thanks, the first question thanks yeah. the heavens all right um we got James Vander Poop I mean Stoop James Vander Stoop wow this, this really? sounds super <laughs> sus yeah this sounds sus sounds Yo. a bit made up yeah Dre I, for real all right i can't make this up okay why okay. do so many wing chun people believe in the fairy tale of Mui and yim wing chun wow wow right out of the gate out the gizzy wow um okay so for uh, i'm pretty sure for most of our audience who tend to be either Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do practitioners. Right. You have probably heard some version of the origin, the Wing Chun origin mm -hmm. story, all right? Which, uh, very much like biblical origin stories, is complete bullshit. So um, I've seen the movie. So you've seen the movie. I haven't. I haven't heard of it until I saw the movie. Oh, you mean Charlton Heston with the uh, with the tablets, or which one? <laughs> Are you talking about Yim Wing Chun with uh, Michelle Yeoh, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Michelle Yeoh. Yes. They're both about equal levels of true truthfulness Yo. in both of those. Um, okay, so good for her, by the way. The yeah, won yeah, the Oscar. Yeah. It's amazing, oh, right? I'm, I'm so happy for. her. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Uh, um, you know, did you see this movie, by the way? I the did. The one she won for. I yeah. did. Yeah, it was crazy. It was yeah. wild. Yeah. I saw some of it. I didn't get to finish it. Yeah, I fell asleep. It's a. Uh, it's. It. You gotta. You gotta be ready for it. Yeah. You gotta well, be ready oh yeah. For it. But it's so cool. It was fantastic. Yeah. And also, you know, what's it? Short round. Because yeah, I can't actually pronounce his actual name. Yes. But he was great too. Yeah, Did you say great. his name Short Round? <laughs> Short Indiana Jones, Round. Indiana Jones of the Temple of Doom. Okay. Yeah, but would you short and short like, round? That, that was his character's that name in Indiana character. Jones and Temple of Doom. I love how he thinks we're messing with him. Yeah. <laughs> he was literally called Short Round. I know I, his name was Short. <laughs> yeah. I like how he thinks we're clowning him here. Jesus. 
<laughs> well, anyway, that guy won best of. Yeah, he won too. No, I, I love, I love when he won. It was yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so <laughs> let's leave it at that. So anyway, uh, back to James Van der Stoop. Yes. Um, so the Wing Chun origin story mm-hmm. is. Um, it's one of these things that you can believe if you're like a teenager, all right? But once once you're an adult... Once you get to that... When, once you're an adult, it doesn't pass the smell test. Is that like okay? 19, 20? Yeah, so the, 20. the Wing Chun origin Two. story is something like this. Um, wow. Now, of course, what what I like about it is that if, if I tell one version of it, someone is going to go, <laughs> well, actually... Uh, the Moy actually came from this temple and, th- and then actually it was around this time and things actually the entire story is fake. So like wow. the, insert your own special details to a made up plagiarized story and it's not, it's not going to make the story any more truthful. I'm not liking this so um, far. Yeah. So the, the story is that, you know, of course we have this famous burning of the Southern Shaolin Temple, which is um, by all accounts not historically accurate. When mm-hmm. the Shaolin Temple was actually burned, uh, that was in the 20th century. Um, it, it was not uh, in, you know, in Qing Dynasty, China, or, or end of the Ming, or something like that, right? Um, you know, the, the story is supposed to be during the Qing Dynasty. And uh, the Shaolin Temple was actually burned many, many years later in the mm. 20th century under completely different circumstances. And what there were no... circumstances? Mm, there, uh, some government revolt or something like that. Okay. And, um, but there, were no, there was no fleeing of the five elders of Shaolin. It wasn't like a rebel student. No. So the, 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 the basic, no, no, I don't even think it was an active temple at that point. I think mm. it was just like the government just decided just to burn down some Buddhist temples. And I think that was just one of the victims. Remember, Shaolin Temple, for all of its his, histor- historical Lore. importance or whatever, it's, it's also kind of just another Buddhist temple in China, so of which there are many, all right? Okay. Um, it's just that supposedly because for historical reasons, there was some connection of martial arts to it. Exactly what that is, um, is a, the, the details are a little, um, to, to be a little British here, scanty, all right? So, um, <laughs> so anyway, that one. Uh, the story goes something like this, okay? The, the Shaolin Temple is burned down. Uh, by uh, um, essentially by a traitor who was within the Shaolin Temple, but you know secretly working for the the Manchus, you know Ma Ling Yi. Now, of course, when I say that, someone actually that's not it. It was it was the the guards that get, no. Actually, it doesn't matter because the any version of the All story of is fake. fake. Any version of the story <laughs> is literally fake. Okay, so it doesn't matter if you go no, it wasn't Ma Ling Yi. It was actually right. the, no. Right. Actually, it's all fake. Yeah. All right, so um, I'm just gonna. I'm just going to tell one of the many versions of this story, right? Uh, of which is 100% fake, like any other version of this story. Okay, so uh, the the Shaolin Temple was supposedly a um, a place of refuge for people who were against the Qing government. The Qing government being the dreaded Manchus. All right, mm-hmm. because. You know, from the, when the the Qings took over the Qing Dynasty, which is actually the Manchus, uh, they are not ethnically Han Chinese. So you have for the first time, essentially, in China's history, in 1644, I think, is when they took over. China is now being ruled by people who are not ethnically Chinese. Okay, they were. It, it was a very hostile takeover, and the Manchus are essentially. Like, um, like the the Tartars from the north, they're essentially kind of 
like people from Genghis Khan. These are not mm-hmm. ethnic Chinese, okay. okay? And they took it over. They had their own their own culture, their own rituals. They did things differently from the Chinese. The entire queue with the front head, uh, part of the head shaved, that is a Manchu hairstyle. That is not a traditional Chinese hairstyle. And they mandated all the men to shave the front of their head and do it that way too. Interestingly enough, the Manchus did not force the women to adopt the Manchu, the, the hairstyle for Manchu females. So they only made the men shave their head in a way to kind of, emasculate them How a little bit. How did the females wear their hair? Well, I, I don't I don't know off the top of my head. I can't tell you or describe okay. it, but but th- there was some kind of traditional hairstyle for Manchu females, but they the Manchu government did not mandate this on Chinese women. <laughs> they only mandated the their hairstyle on the men to control them and emasculate them, right? Uh, so it was wow. not a very fun time in China China's <laughs> history, right? Uh, and China has always suffered from this problem because, you know, they had multiple dynasties and emperors. And as you can imagine, the the difficulty of governing China in those days is China's size. China's mm. huge. Yeah. So you have to think about this in times before modern technology, communications technology. You know, how do you how do you govern if your um, capital is in the north in Beijing? How do you govern all the way to the south? How do you get information there quickly? So the problem is that a lot of these governments Pickle. traditionally had always had problems in the South, meaning that the rebels and the people who kind of snubbed their nose at the government and people who didn't want to toe the line were generally in the South because they were geographically the furthest away from the capital. So that's why the South was always the wild part that they had a hard time containing. And that's why traditionally when we talk about the 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 different lodges that, that banded together to fight against the Qings were really talking about things that happened in the South, okay. in, in the less, less easily governable area of China because of the, the, the distance we're talking about here, right? So in, in Southern China, you have a number of groups that are banding together to essentially do anti-Qing government activities. So you have different groups that are maybe training up little mini militias, to fight against them. You have other groups mm. that are uh, concerned with espionage and getting information and spying and all this kind of stuff. You have another group that is focused on gathering weapons and making plans and things like that. And in some of these groups came the development of martial arts and martial arts styles that were also taught to these militias. Now, um, here's where we get into an area where we can't really say for sure exactly when or who or what, but supposedly, the Shaolin Temple, being a Buddhist temple, was a refuge for people who were basically hiding from the Qing government. So once the Qing government knew that you were against them, of course, they're going to try to come after you. So one of the easiest places for you to hide back then was in a Buddhist temple because you would shave your head, you okay. would don robes, and then you look just like everyone else. So there's supposedly this tradition of the, the Shaolin Temple basically harboring fugitives. Mm. So it's, it's, then it becomes a little bit difficult to say, okay, did martial arts, were martial arts really developed in a Buddhist temple? All right. When you read anything about Buddhism, you'll find it is probably the least, it's the religion that's least likely to be the genesis of creating martial arts. Okay. Okay. Perhaps maybe only Jainism is the only more peaceful religion than Buddhism. 
okay? But Buddhism is not really a ripe seed for creating fighting arts. You know, Buddha said, you know, if your enemy cuts off your arm, you are not even to harbor an ill feeling against them, right? This is, wow. this is not the kind of philosophy that is about, okay, I'm gonna learn how to use my fist and smash your face. It really wasn't until the development of Zen Buddhism and then in a very extreme sect of that, that actually created the philosophy of the kamikaze pilots oh. in Japan. So they were actually extreme types of like Zen Buddhists, but that is like a massive distortion of, of the original tenets of Buddhism, yeah. right? Um, but if we go back to this, we could say, all right, well, Buddhism doesn't really seem to be a, a, a ripe playground for the development of fighting arts. So is it maybe more possible that people who had knowledge of fighting arts, who were hiding from the government, were disguised as monks at the temple? Or does wow. it really make sense that extremely gentle and pious and nonviolent <laughs> Buddhists okay. created... The, the the figure out how to use a pitchfork to stab a dude in the neck out of borders. All right, exactly, right? <laughs> Not Buddhism, boredism. All right, okay, what else are we gonna do? We're gonna come up with shit to yeah. kill people with, right? <laughs> Seems legit to me. Yeah. So, um, so th there's some very shaky stuff with the mm -hmm. whole Shaolin Temple story. Uh, and, and I'm not even scratching the surface. There, there are a few books out there that are um, written by actual martial art historians and scholars. Um, like Peter Lorge, which go into this stuff in detail, and you find that most of what's generally accepted as martial arts history is actually complete bullshit. Um, and we don't really know as much as we would like to know anyway, right? So what do people do when they don't know? They make shit up. Yeah. Because people would, rather, in the people would rather believe a conspiracy theory than no theory at all. Like, people are very uncomfortable saying, like... Um, when, when someone asks me, like, well, what is the origin of Wing Chun? I say, well, I don't know. Uh, I'm like, well, so-and-so so -so doesn't know either. They're just <laughs> telling you something. It doesn't mean that they actually know. And repeating what your Sifu said or repeating what you read in a book doesn't mean you know the history. All right? When I say I, I can't really tell you the origin story of Wing Chun, um, it's not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of having read every single book that's come out on Wing Chun. I've read them all. I know all those stories. And after having read all those things, I go, yeah, it's inconclusive. None of these guys know either. None of these guys know either. They're, ju they're just recycling the oh, old bullshit goodness. tales. None of this stuff is real. This and is and, and so the idea that then, uh, you know, there's a traitor in the Shaolin Temple is already starts to sound like some kind of drama, right? And he rats out the monks to the government and he burns the temple and then try to hide all the escape routes and stuff. But five elders of the temple manage to escape, perhaps with the help of someone else, right? And these five elders also then happen to all be martial arts <laughs> uh, experts. None of them are just lay practitioners or just normal Buddhist monks there. These happen to be the five ass kickers of Shaolin. And then they go on to found five different families of martial arts styles, all right? You know what sucks? My brain automatically goes to elders as elderly. Like, these guys are elderly. No, they're just, uh, no, I mean senior in the martial arts sense. I mean, okay, like, the, like they're, they're the, the senior monks, sense. right? Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, and then they go out and then they go in hiding and then they each find some disciple or something where they each end up founding their own style. OK, yeah. 
first of all, the story doesn't pass the smell test. All right, uh, and 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 when when you it just it just it just sounds like something that comes out of a Chinese pulp fiction novel because that's where these stories actually came from. And then when you look at the actual history of China during that time, you you will not find records that indicate anything like this. But then, of course, people who really want to believe it are going to say, yeah, of course, because the government hid those records because that's what they want you to know. And, of course, they're saying that. They're not saying that based on evidence. They're saying that because they still want the story to be real. It's so difficult for people to just admit, you know what, I don't know. But the thing is, you don't either. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, if I was dying of some illness, I could say I'm dying, but you're also dying too somehow, right? right? I don't know the story. You don't know the story either, right? It's just there's this the one person admits it and the other person uh, doesn't feel, feels uncomfortable admitting it. So then they will follow a tried and true story. And then when you tell them, well, there's no records of this. Yeah, of course. Well, the man shoes must have burned. Must have? So wait, do, do you know that? Did you see that? Are you saying that from an evidence standpoint? Or are you just saying that because you, you don't want that you don't know? All right. If it turns out, let's say 10 years from now, they find uh, there's an archaeological, there's an excavation somewhere in southern China. Mm. And they actually find scrolls or books or screeds or whatever, probably screeds um, of, uh, <laughs> of uh, what the real history of Wing Chun is. And it ends up that the real history is completely unlike any of the multiple potential stories we could have. Let's say it was just developed by three martial artists who had previous martial arts training. They developed it in secret. There was no woman involved. There's no Yim Wing Chun, none of this stuff. Just three dudes invented it. They practiced it. They, they developed it. And then they coined the term Wing Chun because it had some kind of secret meaning or whatever. And then they started disseminating that. And then you find out, oh, there is no Moi. There is no Yim Wing Chun. What would that change for you today? What would that change for you? Would you go, uh, oh, man, now I can't do Wing Chun because Yim Wing Chun was a fairy tale character. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the thing you have to understand is that if yeah. you found out that everything we knew about the Wing Chun origin story was completely false, which I posit the story is false. It's just a matter of when you're going to accept that fact or not. But let's say we find out it's completely different. What if we find out something completely wacky? What if, what if we find we, out aliens brought it? No, no, no. I mean, what if we find out something like a... A Filipino fisherman got <laughs> oh, stranded and he had some, he had knew some martial arts. Uh -huh. And then he, while he was stranded, he stopped by Okinawa and met someone who knew some Okinawan karate, right? Even mm -hmm. though the historic, and I'm not saying this is a possible, it's a, yeah. historically, timeline wise, couldn't happen. But let's say we found out some Filipino fisherman got stranded, was in Okinawa, learned some Okinawan karate, went, made it to China, and then exchanged with a martial artist over there, and that's how Wing Chun was founded. Let's say we found out that a something completely different, something like that was true. What would that change for you? What, 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 would, would you somehow, what would that, that literally wouldn't change anything? I would love it more. Well, it might not change anything <clears throat> for you, but you know, I'm going uh -huh. to go and study Tai Chi. That's right. That's right. But I mean, you, you have to understand it's like I'm start fishing. The, the, the weird thing about people being invested in a fairy tale story is that that has nothing to do with the actual martial art. So if, if you're good at Wing Chun, you got a good punch, good step, good kick, good chi sao, clinging abilities, close range fighting, all of this kind of stuff. Who cares where it actually came from? 
me. Right? I, I mean, but but you understand, like people are they get they get really defensive about a story that even if the story is not true, wouldn't actually change anything anyway. So I don't know why mm. people are so invested in in this story having to be true. I get it. The idea that um, that a a Buddhist nun, all right. Uh, and by the way, one of the reasons why you know she couldn't have, it couldn't have been a Shaolin monk is because they don't have names like Moi, Jisim, or Feng Dok. They, they, they all take on the, these uh, Buddhist names, which are kind what? of meaningless because they're supposed to take names that um, have no attachment to the outside world. Because Buddhism is a, one of the tenets of Buddhism is a kind of detaching yourself from, from the mess of so normal life. What kind of life. name does she have? Mui is her name, but Mui yeah. is not a Buddhist name. Mui is not a name a monk would have. Okay, oh. um, you, you, they they take on different names sometimes, even with numbers and numerology, or the, with Buddhist ideas in there, or their Sanskrit Indian words that have been translated to Chinese. So these are not normal names that a Chinese person would have. Not that Mui is like a normal name, but it's 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 too pedestrian. This is this is not. Um, this is this is not the name of a Shaolin monk. I mean, there, there, there's just there's too much of it that just doesn't smell right. So, Jesus. but the but the idea that the founding of Wing Chun comes from two females is a great story. It's a great. It's a it's a it, it, it's a the idea that okay you want to find a style that uh, can defeat a bigger stronger attacker. So the, these two women, one a martial arts expert and one a brand new student, she teaches her this style and then she uses it to fend off a bandit who's trying to marry her or whatever. Um, that's a great story, but that's exactly it. Sounds exactly like if someone were writing a, a fiction, and the problem is that you have. People like Moi, mm -hmm. who never existed. Oh, no. All right, Yim Wing Chun most likely never existed. Uh, all the other Leung Bok Chow, all these people, but they have been. I learned a fancy new word, euhemerized. Okay. What? Uh, this Do is. You know this word, Mikey? Yeah. This, this is when you take a completely a fictional character, and you place them into actual history. So over time, this obviously happened a lot more a long time ago where people would make up stories about gods like Zeus and things like this, and then okay. they would euhemerize them and turn them into actual historical figures when in reality they're, they're fictions. Like, for example, General Quan, Quan Gong, yeah. all right? He is someone yeah, who's, right there. in reality, he's really a, 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 someone from uh, literature, Chinese literature, but he's been euhemerized as a person who lived in in, act, in in the real world in history, but it's not true. So you have a lot of what? you have a lot of this kind of euhemerization of this, this of, episode is of of people deflating. who uh, uh, who never existed, but they become that. Well, you have and you have that in our origin story. You have Mo Yim Wing Chun. Um, you have it with you know Jesus. All these kind of these are like these are all people who've been euhemerized. These are not people who actually existed. Euhemerized. And, and so yeah, that's your new word, right? Uh, oh. Yeah, but you're, you're going to upset the evangelicals. <laughs> our eva our hardcore evangelical. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to upset me, but that's you're going right. to upset the evangelicals. So and the other thing that the other reason why the story <laughs> doesn't pass the smell test is. Um, there are other stories of other origin stories of other Southern styles, which also have uh, a Wing Chun character in there, Fong Wing Chun, in, especially in Five Pattern Hong Kong. Okay. And what you realize is everyone was copying each other's homework. Um, most of those styles 
histories are plagiarized from other styles histories all right they just borrowed a character here changed the name here changed the location here uh changed it from this group of techniques to this group of techniques and copy and paste and there you have an origin story first um, copy and paste but it's very clear that uh, martial arts are something that evolve over time so you have uh, a martial arts let's say practitioner of a certain style and that practitioner finds uh Maybe another way of doing things that's a little bit better than what he or she has learned. So they incorporate these techniques or they incorporate an idea or concept and they improve it uh, and change it a little bit. And then they give it a new name. So what does that mean? It means the founder of that style was actually very progressive and modern because they would be no. First of all, no martial arts style can develop like an epiphany. It has to be someone who knows martial arts who changes it over time, right? If you, if, if you were to go back and see the line of karate from the founder to today, you wouldn't see wholesale changes over time. You would see this gradual change yeah. from a more traditional way of doing things to a more modern way, and it would just gradually go over time. Like It would just evolve. It wouldn't be like suddenly you have traditional karate and then you have full contact kickboxing. You would see this slow kind of change in ideas and concepts over time. And every other martial art would also have developed in a very, very similar way. Instead of this idea that many traditional Chinese Kung Fu practitioners have that the style was developed completely in full at some point a long time ago and now they're just passing the ball to the next person and then passing the ball to the next person. But when the ball gets to you, this is the same ball that they had in the Qing dynasty. Mm. And nothing works that way. Nothing, all right? Everything but, evolves. But you have a lot of very traditional, conservative-minded people in, in martial arts who want to believe that they are like in an unbroken line to Moi or Yim Wing Chun and what they're doing if Yim Wing Chun or Moi, if they even existed, could come here and you would watch them do the forms, which they probably at that time didn't even have this Yunam Tao and Champ hey. they would be doing the same thing you do if you're from the right lineage and you went to the right school. And there is nothing in the history and nothing in logic that would suggest that anything like that would actually be the case. Um, these things develop over time and they change over time. So, um, yeah, so th this is a... These characters are euhemerized from fiction. They have become real people through people saying that they're real. And most of these stories are plagiarized and borrowed and repurposed. So there's no one walking around that is a direct descendant of Yim Wing Chun. Well, there might be someone whose name was Yim Wing Chun, but whether that person was actually involved in the founding of our style still remains to be seen. All right. <laughs> okay. So my dream I would actually really like to know what the real history is because I guarantee you it's, it's a lot simpler. Okay. <laughs> right. No, I mean, that the, 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 there's no, you know, Filipino uh, fisherman. Uh, there, there's no, there's no Genesis. Boom, Wing Chun is created. Here you go. All right. It, it is like this, a hypothesis someone had, okay, about straight lines and about low elbow and turning and, and then he had these ideas and, and then he showed this to someone and then that guy ran and then put this thing on there and then later they had a whole bunch of ideas and techniques so they had to formalize it. Because mm. remember a lot of our antecedents in Chinese martial arts were not literate. Okay, people always say, well, how come there's no secret scrolls or books or whatever? Hey. Well, I would guarantee you a majority of the Sifus in the line of Wing Chun in the past, maybe with the exception, obviously, of Yip Man, uh, Leung Chan, for sure, who was a doctor. 
Um, Chan Wa-shun is a little bit iffy. He was a money changer, but that didn't necessarily mean that he was uh, literate. Um, many of those sifas were most likely illiterate. So if you cannot write these things down, and you don't want to write these things down because you don't want secrets to go out there, how do you codify it? You have to create forms. Yeah. Otherwise, how, otherwise, how are you going to keep it together? You know, if, if you could teach these things as separate drills and exercises, you could just write it down and practice that stuff and then do sparring. Wow. But when you don't have stuff like that, you have to codify it in some way, and then you got your forms, right? So, um, and that's just one idea of how it could be. But the idea that there was someone named Moya Yim Wing Chun, and they came together, and then she learned the style and beat a bandit, and then taught it to her husband or whatever. I mean, come on, all right, come on, all right. This is it. We have to we have to grow up out of these things at, at some point. I prefer the idea um, that you came up with very briefly that it was aliens. Yes. Well, but like, but like, kind of like that would be like exactly the same plot as that film Jiu-Jitsu starring um, Nicolas Cage as Alan <laughs> Moosey's father um, with Tony Jaa. My good friend Maurice Crump is in that movie. Yes, he so is. I reserve any comment on hey, that film. Hey, I'm, okay. I'm saying I love that movie. I love I, the plot. I, yeah, I love the film. idea of it. Next question. Yeah. You What's sure the next you question? I also love Maurice Crump, just so we're clear. Maurice is the best. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Next up is from Global Fashion. <laughs> That's also sus. <laughs> oh uh, what? What's sure? so sus about Global okay. Fashion? I, I feel like this is a Dryson question. Yeah. Yeah. Disguised. By the way, didn't we have a Patreon question uh, in between? We want to make sure we get to our Patreons. Yeah. Oh, okay. My busy. Chris Beery. There's Beery in the house. Beery, Beery, Beery. Question for the KFG, not the DRE or the Mikey D. You already answered what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle you would be. Mm -hmm. But what would you like as a Star Wars? What would, okay. What would you be like? My bad. <laughs> what would you be like as a Star Wars character? Would you be a Jedi, Sith? Donnie Yen? Uh, Would you be a Donnie Yen? No, because he's like, he's like fourth sensitive, but he's not like really the real deal. No. If you're going to live in that universe, if you are not, if you don't actually have the force in mm -hmm. that universe, then I think the only other thing to be is a Mandalorian. Otherwise, what the hell's the point? Oh, please. You'll be Jabba the Hutt. No, I'd be Salacious Crumb. Yeah, I was going to say, no, Dre Salacious Crumb. Dre Salacious Crumb. Oh, my God. You know what's so great? You know what I like? We totally insulted him. He doesn't know who Salacious Crumb is. <laughs> <laughs> but when he finds out, he's going to be like, that yeah, mother... I think I know who Salacious You know who Crumb Salacious Crumb is? is? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. He's yeah. like one of those little scraggly characters. No, yeah, but he's yeah. a very specific scraggly character. Yes, he is. He's that annoying pet Jabba has. <laughs> Yes. 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 He's saying that's you, Dre. <laughs> Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> I'm Jabba. All right. So, who would I be? I don't know. I, I um, that's my job. I think I think the the dark side people are far more interesting. Yeah. Than, because unless you're like like Luke, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think most of the Jedi's are kind of boring. Even Yoda? The, 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 Even Yoda? Even Yoda? Yeah, but no, I mean, you have, a, you have a couple standouts, right? But most, I mean, with the, like Mace Windu, of Mace course, Windu. right? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, he also kind of got taken out like a chump. So, um, <laughs> no. so I, I think, but they're also, they're also gray Jedis, which are like, they're kind of neither dark side nor light side. They kind of just do their own thing. Mm -hmm. And I think I would like to be like a gray Jedi. But way back in the original lore, like in the Star Wars 
in the lore of like thousands and thousands of years ago, yeah. there were some Mandalorians that also had force powers. So I think to be a hybrid Mandalorian force-wielding Jedi would be the way to go. Yeah, I, the, wow. the, the other question I have is, how come that question was directed at neither Dre or I, Chris? I know. He was very specifically didn't want you guys to answer. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So anyway, I, I would I be either a great Jedi or a, or a Mandalorian I threw that uh, part uh, Jedi in. hybrid. You threw that part in. Yeah. Okay, gentlemen, let's keep it moving. Okay, I'd be a Sith Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Still salacious crumb. <laughs> still salacious crumb. You're crummy, <laughs> crummy bastard. So if you're not local to NYC, one of the easiest ways for you to improve your Wing Chun training is to train online with me. Online private training is tailored toward the individual and geared towards serious practitioners who want to improve their skills or knowledge base. I offer two private lesson subscriptions, twice a month and four times a month. Kung Fu Genius listeners use the code KFG online to get one online consultation lesson free with the purchase of any subscription. That code and the links are in the description below. Online private training is a convenient way for you to ask any of the questions you've had about application, form, theory, or even how to teach. Bring a partner to train with you online at absolutely no extra cost. I'll show you how to train with your partner online. Again, use the code KFG online to get a free consultation lesson with the purchase of any online subscription. Links are in the description below, and I'll see you online. Right. Next up, we got global fashion. Global fashion. I that, swear to God, this it's isn't... A dr- it's a dry It's a dry because global know. fashion sounds like you're going to ask us about Crocs. Right. All right, let's go. <laughs> what is the purpose of Chi-Gurk, and how come some lineages don't have it? Wow, uh, I wasn't What is Chi-Gurk? <laughs> what is chi what, I, I missed that. What, uh, was, what is Chi-Gurk? Well, it's... To those it, who don't it, know. It's the complementary idea, I suppose, to tease out. Mm-hmm. Our clinging arms exercise, where we stick to our opponent's arms with the idea of feeling... Well, partially for feeling which, what direction their, uh, their pressure and power is going to, whether it's coming towards us, going away, moving to the side, so we can situate ourselves in a safer position um, relative to our partner. And also to use this, the tactile aspect of feeling to feel where our opponent is moving. Very similar to what a wrestler or jiu-jitsu person might do when they feel someone change positions, they make uh, adaptations. We do that with our arms. In advanced Wing Chun, obviously, Wing Chun Chun can take occasionally be a bit of an intelligence test, right? Anyone who's been doing Wing Chun for a really long time who hasn't realized that the idea of Qi Sao can also be applied to every other part of your body you know, if you, you're in a weird situation in an elevator, like, and you need to stick with your upper arm to keep someone from hitting you while you pin them. Yeah, I mean, this is an adaptation of the Wing Chun idea, right? But there's some people that just go, no, it, I can only do it like this. They, they, they learn the drill, but they don't learn the idea, mm. all right? They, 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 don't ha- they, they just think Wing Chun is a collection of drills and, and movements, and they don't, they don't learn the lesson the drill is trying to teach them. They just learn the drill. And uh, so you can apply very similar ideas to your legs, especially if you think about in clinching, someone's holding on to you or someone's tied up your arms. They try to give you a knee or try to trip you or sweep your leg or, or, or you know, block your shin. You might need to have an arsenal of ideas to manage this situation, right? And uh, the nature of Qi Gurk and whether this is a traditional exercise or whether this is just Wing Chun theory applied more broadly to other limbs or whether it's 50-50, it's like a basic idea that was expanded on by some instructors. Uh, the jury is still out on that because, of course, uh, our late uh, beloved grandmaster did not really leave any 
written records. So what we have are the, uh, we have to rely on the eyewitness accounts of his students. And the problem is that all of his students, even the ones who are more honest, even the ones who are uh, less prone to exaggeration, are still telling you from their perspective. It's like the movie Rashomon, right? You have, <laughs> you have one incident, but it's now being told by multiple different perspectives. Sheesh. And they're all right. They're all true to a certain degree, but they're also limited to that person's I have perspective. Not seen this movie. So you see, it's a cl classic Japanese film, mm -hmm. and and so they tell you a story, and then the other guy witnessed the same thing, but his story is different. But what you it, but what's happening is that it's because it's told from different viewpoints. All right, um, it's interesting too. Have you ever uh, had one of your boys tell a story about something that happened when you were there? Mm. And when they tell the story, it's a little bit different. Like you notice that they notice certain things, right? Yeah. And, and you, you know, depending on who your friends are, you might be like, oh, he's just full of shit, making stuff up. But what often happens is he's telling you the way he saw it. So he's noticing different things between you and the guy you were talking to. And when you tell the story, you just talk about what you said. But yeah. he noticed what you looked like when you said it. Right. And then the other person didn't talk but saw something else, saw the reaction of another person there. So suddenly with the same incident you have widely varying accounts, right? So why anyone thinks this would be any different for the students of Yip Man recalling, you know, uh, the nature of these techniques, how many of this do we do? When do you teach this? When do you teach that? You had people learning in different time periods. You had people with different aptitudes, mm -hmm. different motivations, different levels of skill, different backgrounds. Um, people tend to get upset that you have these things like these guys have cheekirk, these guys don't have cheekirk. And if you've spent any time in Hong Kong, all right, looking at how the different Wing Chun schools teach Wing Chun, <laughs> and you look at the general lack of structure in many Chinese Kung Fu schools, not just Wing Chun, just in general. You know, it's not the idea like in the Western world, you come, class starts at a certain time, you have your warm up, you do some drills, you do this, you do that, you do some sparring, there's a format, you know, you bow, all this stuff, maybe you have some uniform, at least a class shirt, you go to Hong Kong, dudes training in their jeans, we're looking at their phone, <laughs> hits the wall bag a little bit, chat a little bit, smack each other, get a little aggressive, stop, talk a little bit, smack each other, go down, teacher tells them, oh, step this way here, and then, uh, okay, that's your class, right? right? And then... What Hong you, Kong style. What you should be surprised about in Hong Kong is when you find uh, two Sifus or a few Sifus or whatever who agree on a point. That is the outlier, not the fact that they do it differently. When you see the way it's taught in Hong Kong, you would go, oh yeah, it totally makes sense why everyone is doing something different. All right, you have Different time periods, different aptitudes, the class is not structured, it's kind of a mess. So when you find two different Sifus that say the same thing, or there's overlap, that's the thing you say, okay, that I think is something that might be true or universal of Yip Man Wing Chun, for example. But people are always gonna harp on the differences because we have binary brains, that's the way we look at everything. It's either right or it's wrong, and not like this is a way to do it, and this is another way to do it, and this one might be better for this, and this one might be better for that. People always have to judge everything right away as right or wrong, even before they understand it themselves, or before they even understand the version they're learning. They just, it's like people need to judge something first, and then they find the reasons later. It's, it's totally okay to look, at a, uh, to look at a style that doesn't have qi girk, like we have qi girk in Leung Teng Wing Chun, and some other Yip Man Wing Chun, um, Sifu might say, oh, we don't do qi girk in our Wing Chun. Yeah. 
when you hear that, most WT, I'm just using WT people, for example, would be like, ah, well, we have Cheegark and they don't have Cheegark. That must mean they didn't learn. It's like in their mind, and I'm not saying all WT people doing that. I'm just using my own lineage as an example so no one accuses me of anything, right? Um, but it's totally fine to not give a shit that other people don't have Cheegark. Like, like it, do, it doesn't bother me if someone says like, oh, I think actually Lang Ting is really the one who kind of made up the Cheegark in the Lang Ting Wing Chun. Right? I go, hmm. At some point, some Chinese guy created everything you're doing anyway. <laughs> Half right. of your, what you're doing was created by this Chinese guy. The, this part was created by Yip Man created this. Uh, your Sivu added this thing here. This couple generations before they added this. It's all a composite. It's got it. So, so the idea that, well, this thing was made a little bit more recently, so it's less legit, which is a very strange attitude in Wing Chun. Oh, let's say Leung Ting created the Qi Gurk. Oh, so that stuff is newer. It's more modern. Uh, yeah, but in Chinese Kung Fu, that's not good. Ooh. It's not good unless it's old and true. You have to understand, Chinese Kung Fu is the only, it's the only world of movement and athletics where something that's new and innovative is considered bad. And then you realize that there's some really weird religiosity about the word traditional in oh, martial arts, right? Yeah. Because there's this idea that, oh, if it's hundreds and hundreds of years old, it's been battle tested. Hmm. But first of all, you don't know what in the Wing Chun style you're teaching was developed by Yip Man in the 50s or 60s, what came from Chan Roshan, what came from Dr. Leung Chan, what came from the founder, what changed over time, what did you just misunderstand, do it differently and you think you're doing it right? Like, on, 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 what is the level of hubris and, and uh, solipsism where you think that everything you're doing is exactly the way your teacher taught it to you and exactly the way it was presented to him. It's ridiculous, all right? You just, you have to look at where the commonalities are and then go, okay, these, these small circles of overlap we have, all right? Now, I know for some Wing Chun people, like, oh, all Wing Chun is the same, it's just little... Yeah, at the surface level, that, that's the kumbaya hand-holding thing. That, yeah. But when you get to the upper levels, the, 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 de the devil's in the details. There are some market differences between these styles. And I say that as someone who I feel Leung Teng Wing Chun is grossly misrepresented by most of its own adherents. I broke away from Siva Leung Teng years ago, but I, I do teach my own flavor of what I learned from him. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 I don't find that uh, WT is well represented by many of its own adherents. Um, because I find that they get really tribal about the wrong stuff. They, they, they spend a lot of time arguing about stuff that even me as a WT person goes, oh man, you couldn't even pay me to care about this thing, right? So um, we need to look at what the commonalities are. That's why I loved spending time with Chan Zivu in Hong Kong. Yeah. Because um, Chan Chi Man's Wing Chun was undoubtedly different than what I learned from Sifu Leung Teng. The, his idea in Chi Sao, the way he practiced it, the way he did stuff, but there were a lot of things that were the same because it also still is Wing Chun. And when you see the overlap and there were certain ideas that he, ways he explained was 100% the same way Sifu Langting explains it. And he would explain a theory from a different perspective than Sifu Langting did, but it was the same theory. And then you go, oh, that's just another way of explaining this thing. Okay. And then you go, okay, this is actually different. Okay, fine. But where you see the commonalities... That's where you get closer to the truth. But what do people do? They harp on the differences and they miss the strand that binds us. And that's the interesting part because the differences will always be there by default. But if you want to know the truth about 
what is real and what is accurate in the tra traditional sense, then you have to look at the commonalities and not go, oh, well, in the Moyat style, they do it this way, in the, the, the Wong Seolong style, they do it this way, and then harp about an angle of the hand in Tan Sao, rather than trying to find what do all of those lineages say about Tan Sao, right? That's much, work? that's much more interesting. Mm. That's much more interesting. You have differences within the same school. Why is that interesting? It's not interesting. It's just what people like to, to harp on because um, if someone does something differently than they do in your school, you can weaponize that by stigmatizing. Oh, look how stupid their time is. Oh, look how stupid their form is. Oh, look how they do that. So you just stigmatize <laughs> it just to make yourself feel better. And they all do this. All right. Wow. And it's, it's, pardon my French, it's fucking tiresome. I've used the Tanzo in, in the bar one night. You use the Tanzo in a bar? What, to, to hold a drink? And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, one, one of my favorite stories yeah. of Tanzifu, um, uh -huh. when uh, he told me how he came to learn Wing Chun. He knew William Chang, and William yeah. Chang at that time was a very good fighter. And uh, Chen Chi Man was doing Charlie Fat, and uh, you know William Chang's a Wing Chun guy. And then oh, they're gonna have a, a little match to test each other out, right? And yeah. then this is eventually, you know, William Chang basically beat up Chen Chi Man twice, and then eventually convinced him to come over and start learning Wing Chun. But um, the way they did their first fight was interesting, and I have him on video talking about it. And he says, okay, before they had their their friendly sparring match because they were friends, and it wasn't like a it all it was you know kind of like you know going back and forth it's not like they're trying to kill each other mm -hmm. kind of but not you know uh they're trying to kill each other in the nicest way and then of course you know chan sivu being from a charlie fat background you know before they fight it's a very almost chinese kung fu thing they have to bust out some shapes oh yeah to kind of show their opponent what they can do right so you know uh uh chan chi man bust out a couple um you know charlie fat shapes right and then william chang did the siunam tao form <laughs> which is funny because Wing Chun for being such an, a direct and aggressive martial art is uh -huh. totally like it, it confuses people when you look at our forms yeah. it's like slow standing right and then you see us fight and we're moving around and it's dynamic and you go in but forms like this right? it has a different emphasis right and he said that uh, when uh, William Chang started doing the Siunam Tao form this was the first time he saw it he just thought it was such a strange looking thing and he said that while uh, William Chang was doing the Tan Sao his uh -huh. hand was out like this and then he said, while he was doing Chan Chi Man, put a coin in his hand because it looked like he was begging for change, right? So it was just kind of funny like to, to, to look at it from yeah. the perspective of someone who had never seen it before, right? So we say like, you know, using the tan at work, yeah. I think like, oh, wait, holding yeah. up the plate, holding right? The tray, yeah. Just like he put the coin in William Chang's hand. Jesus, so. All right, what else we got, man? What do we got next? We got Eric, I want to say Nelson. Okay, Eric I want to say Nelson. How about you say, say what's Nelson. on that computer screen? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> You say Nelson. <laughs> I know. I know. He's like. <laughs> I almost saw has that name Neeson. been has that name been canceled? I almost saw it as Neeson. All right. So we got Bruce Lee is Jet Lee. Pretty sure <laughs> Jet Lee is Jet Lee, but Hollywood okay. wear masks. Hence the mask, wore the baggy clothes, the Expendables, and not Jackie. Is that, um, a, is that a drug letters I'm, question? I'm sorry, what? I, this might have been the drug letters comment of the week. Oh, okay. I don't know. It's, yeah, the it's drug letters still get all the batshit, all caps. I scrolled, it was here. Yeah. I got a funny comment on the drug letters video the <laughs> other day. Somebody, like, you know you're in trouble when the comment, you know, it, you have to click read more, and you <laughs> click read more, and it goes, <laughs> right? And that thing is like oh, pages is long, right? 
And then someone oh, just that wrote happens to me all the time. Yeah. This, um, you know, I, I, I like to I like the phrase word salad, right? And when they like to use all, you know, they use all caps. I call those all caps army. Yeah. He wasn't really an all caps army guy, and wasn't totally a word salad. Like he did kind of put things in a cohesive way. This was kind way. of like a word salad. So that's was, a word salad. Was he like a caps national guard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but what he did was, is he basically was like, yeah, well, Bruce Lee's death. And then he kind of wrote every single theory that was ever about Bruce Lee's death mm -hmm. as if somehow all of those things simultaneously <laughs> contributed to Bruce Lee's death. It was heat stroke, cocaine, yeah. uh, cerebral edema by, uh, you know, inequagesic, uh, ninjas, uh, Betty, you know, oh, giving yes. him too much aphrodisiac, whatever. It was like, so see, with all of these things, it's no wonder yeah. he died. It's like, okay. That's a new theory I'd never heard before. When you can't figure out which theory is the correct one in terms of which why theory Bruce Lee salad. died, then you just use all of them, and we yeah. call that theory salad. Yeah. Uh, I think favorite. we have another Patreon question. I think we had a longer Patreon question. We may have another longer Patreon question. <laughs> I like how kid. You know what's so funny? We haven't done like a regular recorded episode. He seems rusty. Oh yeah, like rusty. super rusty. Yeah. All right, like, like a rusty trombone. All right, let's go. <laughs> rusty bullet hole. This is the KFG after dark. You bore me. You bore this me. This is the person's name. It's a Patreon, right? Yeah. Awesome. Long time listener, first time caller. Two questions, if I may. Sifu Alex, have, having left the IWTA and EWTO, although I'm not sure if you have cut all ties with them, do you ever feel that it has encumbered your cut, uh, I'm sorry, continued training slash teaching methods or that you're missing out on any new ideas? Or do you feel it's been better for your training and teaching, being someone liberated from one sub-style? Um, this is the first question. Okay, let, can let's go into the second one. Let's do that one first. Um, that, that's a good question. I understand where it's coming from. I mean, most people have the idea that if you follow one style your whole life, you have blinders on and uh, you only know this one style. You don't know anything else. And I think anyone who talks to me for more... Horses wear blinders. Right. I think anyone who talks to me for more than five minutes, even if you, even if you talked to me 15 years ago when I was super entrenched in the Lungting system, I was teaching here in New York, wearing the uniform. I was a proud flag-carrying and card-carrying member of Leung Teng Wing Chun. Uh, I think even then, if you had me at my most indoctrinated in Leung Teng Wing Chun kind of mode, uh, you would find that I still had a lot of interest in what other martial arts were doing. I still wanted to make sure that what I was teaching held up to what the other people were teaching here in New York. And you have to have an idea of what the other Wing Chun styles are doing so you can make sure that you're preparing your students well, what are other styles doing. So even when I was the most like Leung Tingy mm -hmm. in my career, okay. um, I, I still was a huge martial arts fan who had an eye open for all of these other things. So I can't speak for other people. Um, but I can just say like, well, I always kind of, um, was faithful to the style that I taught, but always had an eye open. And that doesn't mean mix. People go, oh, so you were mixing others. And no, 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 no. Just want to make sure that if I teach my students, uh, anti-grappling defense that I have 
maybe train with some grapplers so I have kind of an idea of what they're doing so that what I teach them isn't totally being pulled out of my ass, like most Wing Chun people, right? Um, or, you know, when I show some ideas based on, you know, what boxers might do or kickboxers or something, well, that I, uh, that's coming from a place of experience, not just coming from a place of, you know, out of my ass, so to speak, right? Um, so I, I, I don't think even me at my most indoctrinated, you would see that I was someone who, oh no, Lang Teng Wing Chun is the only one, the other Wing Chun styles, other, like, I, I was looking at what the other Wing Chun guys were doing and, and kept an eye open for that. And I read all the books from the other Wing Chun guys, right? And that helped to strengthen what I understood in Lang Teng Wing Chun. So that's the first point. I don't think I ever was encumbered by it. The other thing too is Lang Teng himself is actually someone who has a very open idea of martial arts. Now, mind you, Personally, he can be a bit tribal. He can he can kind of get into politics, and he can be a bit of a, a diva, or as they say in England, a diva. Diva. Um, what? A diva. No, it's yeah, it's a diva, not a diva. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, there's American yeah. whatever. Where you're whatever. the ones that add the R's onto the yeah, A's. Yeah, whatever. All you're right, like soften your teeth, right, bunch of nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Soften. So, he, but he was always someone who said, you know, you have to understand what the other martial arts styles are doing. You have to have an idea. You have to train your students to fight against other martial arts styles. Um, he would contextualize the way he did Wing Chun to other people's Wing Chun and say, well, these guys learn in this period, so they would do it this way. So he was someone who, he, he, he also understood what was going around. The, the, if, if you have a chance to learn Leung Ting Wing Chun, not from one of the many uh, schools in the association, but I mean, you have a chance to learn from the higher ups. You get maybe a different feeling than someone who learned at a WT school somewhere in England that was a, a Seeing who learned from a guy who learned from a guy who learned from Leung Tang or a small school in Germany or a small town. You have the, I've had the extreme luck to learn from yeah. just the, the top guys in WT in Europe or in Hong Kong. So my, my mileage, I think, varies quite a bit because they... You know, even Sifu Carson Lau, who I'm going to see next week, you know, he, you know, I would talk to him about what some of the other Wing Chun guys do or some other Kung Fu styles. And, oh, yeah, well, in Hong Kong, sometimes these guys would fight and then we would have to know this and this and this. And so they had a very open, they understood that they were just one spoke in the wheel of Chinese martial arts. And they didn't have this thing like, oh, no, Leung Teng Wing Chun is the only one. The other guys aren't any good. Um, you have that maybe in middle management and lower management in the big association. But the guys who are at the top. Um, they they understand a little bit, right? So I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it was quite that way. Leung Ting Wing Chun by uh, historically is a little bit heretical in terms of not always we, we okay. kind of snub our noses a little bit at some of the other Wing Chun guys, uh, and that has both good and bad consequences, right? So um, it's it's a good template the way WT is presented to have an open mind about other martial arts as long as you can just stay out of the politics. And so luckily I was able to kind of steer clear of that stuff, especially once I, I quit and left the association. And I was just a little bit more free to be the person I always was anyway. It wasn't like, oh, I left Sifu Leung Ting and oh, now finally I could do Bong Sao differently if I wanted to or whatever. I mean, it wasn't anything like that. Uh, so I wouldn't say that it was an, an encumbrance. I would say that uh, in my path, the education I had in Leung Teng Wing Chun prepared me for my time post Leung Teng's association. So that's why I'm, I'm still grateful to that. Okay. Yeah. Despite okay. the, all the political nonsense. Uh, I'm still very grateful. Mm-hmm. So what's tell. the second I question? I tell you're grateful. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Two. <laughs> Number comments. two. And for fun. And for fun. 
So what if you could transport back in time for a front row seat into the life and legacy of one of the most respected Wing Chun masters in history? Gong Sao Wang, a tribute. Direct students on Sifu Wang Shunung offers you just that. Through a series of exclusive conversations, 25 direct students share anecdotes, reflections, and personal stories offering in-depth understanding of the man behind the legend. Order your copy today across 12 Amazon marketplaces with free shipping. I absolutely love this book, and I think you'll find it an indispensable part of your collection. I can't recommend it enough. Get yours today. Go to Amazon, type in Gong Sao Wong, and there you go. Now that the drug letters have been found, and we know Bruce Lee's fondness for a certain white powder. It's not a death question, is it? I haven't gotten... Okay, because I don't answer death questions. You know that, right? I haven't gotten... There now, the number of people got pissed off about me not answering death questions that anymore. This is for fun. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, okay. And celebrity nose candy is definitely for fun. <laughs> Fondness for a certain white powder. Do you think his iconic nose flick during fight scenes in movies was just a trademark or more of an involuntary action that many users of that substance often have? Food for thought. Love the podcast and thanks for the entertainment. P.S. Yo, Mikey. How's those chips, bro? <laughs> they are fat, greasy, and tasty, my friend. Yes. Okay. So it's funny. When the drug letters came out, that comment came a couple times. Oh, I guess now we know what that nose flick was, right? Mm. And I thought it was just kind of a funny, cheeky thing to say. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, now, now, like, it being in a regular question, you think about it. Yeah. You can't help and, but think about it. Wonder. Ponder. Well, what I want to know is, and because um, I, uh, I think he flicks his nose even when he's a kid. I think there's, like, one famous scene in one of his early films in the black and white where yes. he does that, right? So which would be obviously he pre-cocaine, does. right? Because uh, I was... I was <laughs> I, I was um, I was about to say um, uh, maybe if they're fans of the Green Hornet because I've I've watched most of the Green Hornet episodes but I'm not I'm not like the guy who can tell you well in episode 13 of the Green Hornet like he faced yeah. like I'm I can't tell you that right but I would be very curious if anyone out there knows whether Bruce Lee did the nose flick during Green Hornet or whether he did it in Long Street or hmm. uh, in Ironside or Here Come the Brides or Marlowe or anything like that. Um, I do believe he did a nose flick, but it was more kind of a thumbing type thing like this. But he, I don't know. It's actually kind of a funny question, given given the level of his cocaine yeah. habit, especially during <laughs> his last couple movies. Uh-huh. There could be a there there. You oh, know what man. I mean? Um, I recently um, uh, read something that caused me a little pause. Um, when Bruce Lee started shooting Enter the Dragon, uh, which was around, I guess, February of 1973, he didn't show up for the first couple of weeks of filming. And this was kind of odd behavior for Bruce Lee because Bruce Lee was always a professional, always showed up on time, yeah. always knew his lines. You know, I mean, he grew up making films, so he was... In, in that respect, a consummate professional, professional. right? Okay. But then here comes his big break, and uh, it's, his, his, it's his big Warner Brothers film, and then he's not showing up for the first couple weeks. So they end up having to film like a bunch of scenes that don't require Bruce Lee, but 
uh, from watching Enter the Dragon, you can remember that there are only some scenes that don't have Bruce Lee. In fact, okay. um, it's weird. It kind of, it's a they test. They had to create scenes. It's a well, no, I don't think they had to create it. They just had to shoot the scenes that didn't need him directly, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's a very interesting thing about um, Enter the Dragon and it, to the star power of Bruce Lee is that the few scenes that don't have Bruce Lee in it, even though they're important to the plot and the story, the energy of the movie just goes down super fast. Okay. You know, like when it's just like, uh, you know, um, Jim Kelly, like talking to the girls or like uh, yeah. uh, John Saxon and, and Han. It's like there's those few times when it's like just like when Bruce is not on the screen, you definitely notice it a lot in Enter the Dragon. So they kind of minimize that. But he didn't show up. Now, of course, there's some inside baseball about why did Bruce not show up? So there's speculation that there was some power play thing going on between him and Raymond Chow. I would consider it extremely risky because here, like, they're taking a chance on, to put Bruce in a Warner Brothers film. You know, like, to put a Chinese actor as a headliner in an American movie, this was a huge break, and then he ends up not showing up. Like, the danger that they were going to pull just pull the plug on the whole thing and he would lose the whole thing was kind of great. So you kind of go, like, what was his big play there? Yeah. You know what I mean? And then the first scene that they shot when he did end up when he finally did show up, do you know? Do you know the, the first scene that they shot? Uh, the it's not the first scene in the movie. It's in not in the fact, first scene the first movie. scene of the movie, which is where was he fights Sammo Hung, last. was shot last. Right. Okay. Uh, the first scene that they shot is the scene where he's in his room, and then they bring in the prostitutes for him to choose. <laughs> and then she's like, "Well, if you don't see, a, you know, Anna Capri's like, well, if you don't see a girl you like, he's like, there was one at the, uh, there was a girl at the feast tonight, right? Mm -hmm. But which one? The owner of this dart, right? That was the first scene that he shot. And they said that he was so super nervous. Now, why would Bruce Lee be so nervous? Okay, because first of all, he'd been making films since he was a kid. He had already worked in Western films. He had done Marlowe. He had done, you know, TV. He had, he had done all sorts of stuff. He had done other films. Why now in his last film is he suddenly nervous in front of the camera? Well, it turns out, according to one of the recollections there, he had developed a facial tick. And in my cocaine research, of course, this could be confirmation bias, but for some heavy users, they can develop a little bit a of a little tick. tick. And he had a tick that he couldn't control. So I'm curious now if the delay of him starting Enter the Dragon Try had to do with some, um, perhaps some bugging out on cocaine. Huh. It's, a, it's something I, I, I want to go into a little bit more. Not that you can find conclusive evidence of that, but I, I want to read a couple, maybe I want to reread um, Robert Klaus's Making of Enter the Dragon. I haven't read that in a little bit. Maybe see if there's something in there that I can find and and read between the lines if I can. But of course, you always have to be careful that you're not looking to find, oh, he's obviously on cocaine. Confirmation bias is when a was very- the last time you read that book? Uh, Making of Enter the Dragon? <sighs> Maybe four years ago, five yeah, years four ago. Four or five yeah. years ago, yeah. you have new lenses. I have new lenses, yeah, yeah because that's before all the cocaine <laughs> stuff definitely came out. Yeah, I can go it. back and read it and have yeah. a new, new appreciation. Oh. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. The KFG wants to get deeper into cocaine. 
Unbelievable. That's right. Unbelievable. Research. I just want to be like my hero, man. <laughs> also, but hey, man, the comments sometimes like, well, well, you know, he had that, that back problem. So be, he's not taking cocaine for a back problem, you idiot. No, take heroin for a back problem. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Oh, he was on morphine. No, he wasn't. There's, there's, no, there's no evidence of that. It's not in the cocaine letters. It's not in any of his doctor scripts. Where people come up with this stuff is amazing. Oh, he was taking steroids. Uh, corticosteroids are not anabolic steroids. I have had a corticosteroid shot in my shoulder before. Does that mean I've taken steroids now? According to most Bruce Lee fans and, and some books about Bruce Lee, hey. they, they, that, that would be the same thing, right? I was on steroids for this elbow injury. Yeah, I know. Look at you. You're jacked, bro. <laughs> All right, I'm jacked in all the right places. <laughs> yeah, jacked in all the right places. Jacked in the stomach. <laughs> yeah. Which elbow is it though? Yeah. you know that might not be because of Left. the steroids. That's right. Left elbow. Wow. Someone, wow. Someone gets bored in suburbia. So Dre, uh, do we have another question before we get out of here? I think. Uh, I think we had we one about s- something about movies. It was a long one. We can finish with that. Because so rusty. I, I, We're having to prompt him. Yeah, because I, I found sometimes the longer the question, the shorter the answer. It's always the short <laughs> questions that I have to like, uh, because, some, because a lot of times when people write really long questions, most of it is just story. And then the questions at the end, it's very short. All right, so what do we got? You talking about the Vision Vanson? Yeah. <clears throat> All right, next up, we got... <laughs> Vision Vanson. All the names are on fire today. These names. Chris man. Beery, James Vanderstoop. <laughs> isn't he the guy? Wait, isn't that, isn't that that Dutch guy? Isn't that that Dutch guy who like killed that girl in Haiti or Jamaica or on vacation or something? Remember, like, remember there was some Dutch boy like in the what? in the, like killed some Holloway and they couldn't find her body. Wasn't his name James Vanderstoop Van or something? Like that? Sure, you're not still thinking of Oscar Pistorius. <laughs> You no. always think of Oscar <laughs> Pistorius. Absolutely. Love that person. All right, let's go. Let's go. All right, Vision Vanson. Okay. Oh, please brace yourselves. Okay. I'm braced. I'm strapped in. <laughs> Big fan of your Kung Fu Genius YouTube channel and all the content you release on Bruce Lee. Awesome. Good. I'm glad he's not a fan of my other YouTube channel because that one sucks. I was wondering if you can do a video on him where the Venom mob, imagine Bruce Lee being the seventh Venom, Gordon Liu, and or any of Shaw Brothers, martial arts actors and directors like Chang Che talk about his skill and if they had a desire to want to work with him or not. I always enjoyed Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies and thought it would have been interesting to see Bruce work with them to have more creative control as he planned to. And also help them with some of their action sequences as well as script writing like he was doing here in the States. Before his emergence, there were too much cutting in the editing of the fight scenes and Bruce wanted more fluidity in the action sequences so that camera angles can showcase the skill better for the viewers and wow the audience in ways that hadn't been seen or done prior to his performances. In my 
opinion, Bruce revolutionized the way martial arts kung fu movies were filmed and I feel he doesn't get enough credit for that. In fact, he was condemned for it by many in the martial arts community at the time because he felt like he was revealing too much by doing so. Okay? I'm only halfway through. However, <laughs> when we look at martial arts films or MMA combative sports of today and the adaptation of the fighting techniques, styles that are combined and showcased for the world to see, one should most definitely recognize Bruce Lee as the grandfather of it all. Thank you for all your work and insight on Bruce Lee. Please continue to keep up the great work. I look forward to more of your YouTube videos. Awesome. Well, super glad. It wasn't uh, that bad. Very enthusiastic. Well, it the problem great. is it was so long. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where to start. I don't, I don't, I don't even remember half of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to see Bruce Lee in a Shaw Brothers film, I think we have a little bit of uh, nostalgia glasses when it comes for that stuff because um, obviously many of us who grew up watching those kung fu movies, we have Man. fondness for Shaw Brothers. And, yeah. and, and it would have been cool to see, I mean, in your mind you go, man, it would have been cool to see Bruce Lee in that format. But people, I think, also sometimes forget the Shaw Brothers format was very limited because it was in a studio. I mean, when you look at many of those films, they're shot in the same studios again and again with the fake blue sky in the background. And we have a fondness for some of the actors, but when you look at it, it was like, um, Golden Harvest was starting to do things that uh, the Shaw Brothers wasn't. They were starting to go on location. They're mm -hmm. shooting outside. They're going different places. They're making movies in the city. And Shaw's with the studio was making movies in a studio with a fake blue sky. And I think that after Enter the Dragon, um, I just think Bruce would have been a little bit too big to go to the Shaw Brothers studios at that point. I mean, yeah. look, once you make a movie with Warner Brothers, mm. you're going to go to the Chinese company that stole their logo, Shaw Brothers? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think so. He and Now, I, I know that at the time of his death, he had planned on doing some stuff there. So maybe the, there were some favors he still owed or he still wanted. He, he really, I think, just wanted to piss off Raymond Chow. And yeah. I, I think maybe doing a film for Shaw Brothers, especially with uh, uh Yun, his friends and stuff, mm -hmm. I, I think that was also just a little bit of a middle finger to Raymond Chow. When did he Chow. do that photo shoot? Um, okay, so uh, I'm sure some, someone like Steve Carriage would probably know a little bit better, like okay. exactly, um, you know, the dates and when and all that, or like a Darren Chua or something. Like, I mean, there are people who like really know all this stuff in more detail than I do. Um, but he did go over to Shaw Brothers once uh, and take a bunch of photos with, you know, David Chang and uh, Chen Quan Tai and all those guys who were, you know, it was a photo op and there was press there. And, and it's hard to imagine that this didn't have something to do with pissing off his boss or squeezing his boss for like, hey, buddy, you better stop slow boating my returns from Way of the oh, Dragon. Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to go cross town and do something else. Right. So I, I, I see his visit to Shaw Brothers Studio where he's palling around with T. Lung and all those guys okay. as a huge, this was a play to Raymond Chow. Hmm. But he also did a photo shoot over there at Shaw Brothers. Now, I don't know if that was done on the same day that he went over there and took all those buddy-buddy photos with 
the the actors from Shaw. I don't know if that all happened on one day, if that was another day. Um, you know, I don't know what like the the inside scoop was on that whole story. I'm sure there are other people out there who who know better. Yeah. I mean, you could probably Google it and and, and get some information on that. Um, maybe he would have done a film for Shaw out of loyalty, or Shaw would have given him some good money or something. Um, but I think if if the trajectory of Bruce's career continued more or less as it would have, I I don't see him, you know, because the Venom stuff was late seventies. All right, we're talking here early seventies when we're really talking early, you know, getting into the mid seventies. Hmm. I I don't think Bruce, if his career had been taken off. I, I don't think he would be in the position where he had to do a film for Shaw in the late 70s. So I don't, I don't think... If, he if, is if, a if, guest if, villain. If, no, because Shaw didn't do that stuff. Hmm. Now, maybe he would have made an exception for Bruce. It's quite possible. But if we, look at, if we look at Shaw's history and what they did until they stopped making movies about sometime around the mid-80s, it's highly unlikely. And also, Shaw's was eventually, you know, after the uh, excitement of all the Venom stuff, Shaw's kind of crashed and burned pretty quickly because you have to imagine that by the early 80s, Jackie Chan is on the scene now and he's making movies like Project A where he's doing stunts and falling off of clock towers and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, doing stuff like Police Story. Yeah. He's like jumping off game. of double-decker buses into, into glass windows of malls. And you compare that to a, a Shaw film of the same year, and they're filming in the same shitty indoor studio with a fake blue sky. So Ooh. at some point, like uh, what often happens to people who are very innovative at first is they, they ride that wave of success of being the first. And Shaw's was, the Shaw brothers were very innovative, very smart businessmen. Uh, they were able to control not just the production by making the movies, but also the distribution. They owned movie houses in Hong Kong. Yeah. So they had the distribution for the films they were making. It was, a, it, was a, it was a monopoly. It was a great racket. But at some point, those things don't last. And other, another guy comes, a Raymond Chow, who was a former Shaw's employee, and knows the weaknesses of that company and starts playing to you know, their strengths towards the weaknesses of Shaw Brothers. And by, mid by the mid-'80s, uh, Run Run Shaw basically has to close up his studio thing because he was the only person in the 80s still making movies inside a studio with a fake background, like a for outdoor background, I mean. Obviously, studio sets are still used, but like not with a you know fake blue sky with <laughs> clouds no. that don't move, right? No. Uh, and Ooh. he was just, he was out of date, you know? It's like same thing happened to Sifu Tang, young, innovative guy, comes up with this awesome teaching program, uh, is very heretical and, you know, thumbs his nose at the Wing Chun establishment. And then he becomes kind of a very conservative, crotchety old man who becomes exactly like the guys who attacked him when he first got on the scene, mm -hmm. right? And so it's, a, it's an all-too-familiar story. And that's all I got to say about that. Okay, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius. Hit that bell for notifications. And if you have any questions for me to answer on a future episode, go ahead and write them in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. 
Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. Uh, we normally record in the morning. When we <laughs> record in the morning, we have a lot of energy. We're ready to go. We're recording late on a Friday night. Let's Not never record this late again. Jesus Christ. Oh, no, we can record this late again, but next time, mushrooms and alcohol. Yeah, definitely. KFG after dark. No, I just feel like my brain has gone... Already did an interview today. Yeah, he's been renovating and teaching. Yeah, I don't know what Dre is. I cannot... He's been living in the suburbs all day. You ready, Dre? I think I'm ready. Are you pumped? Yeah! Okay. Um, you gotta see my dog chase a slinky. It's so funny. <laughs> oh, you're so suburban. Dear God. <laughs> Andrew cut all this stuff out. No one's gonna care. Okay, next question. So sorry. Wow. What is... Okay, this was... <laughs> Jesus. Yo, Dre. I'm sorry. Dre, you have a mic. So I have headphones. I'm sorry. I oh, my hyped. God. I get hype. Oh, my bad. I lost 60% <laughs> of my hearing right now. Uh, there's a mosquito in here. Ooh. It's right... It's he's, he's trying to land on you, Dre. He's gotten away. Look at him. Yeah. He, that guy's going to need... He's going to need to die. There you go. He's over there. No, no. He's up there by the light. <laughs> Did you get him? I have this suspicion that he bit my hand. All oh, right? Um no. YouTube. YouTube. Lots, lots of gems. gems. Lots of... Your hemorrhoids. You hemorrhization. He will never remember that word. You hemorrhization. Lots Did Bruce Lee thumb his nose because of coke? No, we can't do cocaine. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, too much cocaine. Doing we keep doing so cocaine. much cocaine. It's so much cocaine. Lots of sticky hands, sticky legs. <laughs> Say that. It's actually, it's making fun of a Hungarian Wing Chun rap song. I shit thee not. I'll tell you about it another oh day. I'll oh, wow. tell you another day. I don't have the energy to tell that story now. All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of debunking Ming Bang Bar. Wow. What? All right, <laughs> yeah. Hi, <laughs> fuckers. All right. Dre, I want, I want to go home. <laughs> All right, peeps. On today's episode no, of the Kung Fu no, Genius, brother, no, you can't hold you can't hold this up. Wing Chun, pythons will be. You got this. <laughs> all right, peeps. On today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems. Lots of. Oh my God. Wing Chun myths being debunked. Lots of. Oh dear God. All right, peeps. On today's no, 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 no. all oh sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of <laughs> debunking Wing Chun myths, and lots of... <laughs> like how we tried to add the lisp to the word myths. <laughs> <laughs> the genius will be answering all sorts of... Whoa, yo, the what, mic, yeah, man. Whoa, whoa. What? It, you just made a full house reference. I'm going to sidekick you in the head, all right? <laughs> you, you know what Lannis Moore said? Do you remember the first song where she's like, oh, you remind me? It's like where she's all angry because like her boyfriend was a piece of shit. She wrote it about that guy. <laughs> Dave, the, Dave Coulier or whatever, the guy, the cut it out guy. He was their ex-boyfriend. The genius will be answering all sorts of mythical Alanis Morissette questions. All sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems. Why did you do that? Oh, I'm that J out. Yes. Oh All you had to do was leave and, and walk yeah, away. Yeah, that was the whole trick right there. Good job, man. Yes. Yeah, awesome. Yay. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Hey. Woo.